I wonder if you have been listening to our broadcast over the last uh, week or so, in which we have been talking about the question of fear. If you have, you'll recall that we've been looking at the passage in 1 Peter 3, verses 13 and 14, where Peter talks about fear of suffering persecution. He was writing to a persecuted people. These people to whom Peter was writing were being persecuted in many situations of life. Indeed, before verses 13 and 14, he had been discussing one particular form of persecution, and that is the persecution of a Christian woman who was living with an unbelieving husband. Now, of course, Peter here is not uh, in any way suggesting that uh, Christians should marry unbelievers. But very often when Christians become Christians, they were married already as unbelievers to unbelievers and now must face the prospect of living according to their vows for the rest of their lives or perhaps even for a substantial part of their lives with an unbelieving partner. How does a Christian do that? especially if that unbeliever makes light of his faith and indeed even uh, persecutes and perhaps even ostracizes the Christian and his friends because of his faith. Well, that's what Peter had been talking about, and his answer was, as we saw last time, to trust oneself to God who judges righteously, as he says Jesus did, uh, when he was faced with persecution, 1 Peter 2, 23b. And then secondly, as these verses say, to prove zealous for what is good. If one knows that he is in the hands of a righteous God who will right all the wrongs, who will turn the tables on those who have been persecuting those who trust in Christ and who someday will smooth out all the inequities when he comes to judge the world righteously, that helps. But even more so, does it help to know that one's own life has been lived properly before God and before the unbelieving partner or the unbelieving friend or the unbelieving business associate. Now notice more closely verses 13 and 14. Peter says, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? People don't usually persecute when you do the right thing. <clears throat> now, that is not always true. But most of the persecution in a home, for example, against a believing partner by an unbeliever, does not come because of the faith of that believing partner. It, it comes because of the unfaith and the actions that are wrong and the, the nasty and bitter words and the, the attitudes that that believer may have in response to wrong behavior on the part of an unbeliever. While never condoning sin, it's important for believers to remember they cannot expect the kind of righteous behavior from their unbelieving spouses or their unbelieving uh, business partners or their unbelieving friends in the neighborhood that could come from a believer. I mean, it's just exactly impossible. Now, we say that theoretically and theologically. We all know and believe that an unbeliever can't 
produce the fruit that a believer can, and yet when it comes down to the very practice of it in day-by-day living, so often we hear in our counseling center unbelievers being condemned again and again and again by believers for not doing what only a believer can do. Now, of course, they are condemned by God for not living according to his holy law, for not doing what a believer should do, but though God judges, that is his job. It is not our job to judge or to take vengeance upon those who fail to live according to his law. And it is certainly our job to remember and to recognize and to understand and to live with the fact that an unbeliever simply cannot do what only a believer has the power to do. For instance, the fruit of the Spirit just is impossible for an unbeliever to produce. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, self-control, all those things come as a result of the Spirit of God dwelling within a man's life. And if a man does not have Jesus Christ as his Savior, if he does not have the Spirit of God living within him, he simply does not have the power or the understanding of the Word of God, which only the Spirit of God can make real to him in the first place, to do those things which will produce that fruit. They are the fruit not of an individual or the result not of an individual, but the fruit or result of the presence and work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. So obviously someone without the Spirit cannot do what only the Spirit of God can enable a man to do. So why should believers then expect and complain when they live with an unbeliever that the, believer, that the unbeliever do things which he is incapable of doing? In other words, you should not expect a cat to bark. You should not expect a dog uh, to meow. Cats just don't wag their tails when they're happy. They purr. And uh, dogs don't purr. They wag their tails. And I don't care whether you call the believer or the unbeliever the cat or the dog, but they're as different as cats are from dogs. And dogs don't act like cats, and cats don't act like dogs. Believers don't act like unbelievers, and unbelievers don't act like believers. So the first thing that we should keep in mind is that it is not our job by uh what we tell another person to do to try to get him to live as we would like to have him live when he is an unbeliever. It's our job to live that way ourselves. It's our job as believers to prove zealous for what is good in that home, in that business, in that uh, neighborhood or organizational relationship. It is the believer's job to demonstrate what the Christian faith is all about. It's not his job to go around complaining and griping and grumping and assaulting unbelievers because they don't live as only a believer can. And when the believer lives his faith consistently and plainly and clearly and crisply in the face of unbelievers, then it will be possible for him also to present the word of eternal life, to present that message of salvation which alone can change an unbeliever so as to make it possible for him to live as a believer should. Only then, when he comes to faith in Christ, through believing the gospel, through, through seeing through the behavior of, an un, uh, of a believing partner, that this faith is meaningful, that this faith really can change a life, that this faith really can make a person's uh, existence something worthwhile, only then can that uh, unbeliever begin to produce something fresh and new and real 
and vital in his life because he is no longer an unbeliever now. He has come to faith in Jesus Christ himself. So the first thing to keep in mind, rather than to fear an unbeliever, is to show an unbeliever by your own life what faith in Jesus Christ is all about. And the person you see who concentrates on living the Christian life will not have to spend his time concerned about what others do to him. He is concerned deeply and fully about what he can do for others, what he can do to demonstrate that faith to others. And fear, you see, as we are going to go on in the days to come to notice in some detail, is a matter of self-introspection. It's a matter of focusing upon one's own feelings. But the believer who focuses upon doing good and who focuses upon demonstrating the faith to others has the focus in a place calculated to eliminate fear. Lord, help us to do just that, we pray, in all of our relationships with unbelievers. For Jesus' sake, amen.